0: Welcome to IBTI Blast,
1: the podcast for bomb technicians and investigators. Hello and welcome to episode four of the latest series on radiation from IBTI Blast, the podcast for bomb technicians. And I'm delighted to have with me again today, Andy Carum, who is our resident radiation expert. Andy, welcome back. Oh, and thanks for having me back. Today, we're going to talk about canines and radiation i have no experience of canines and i have no experience of radiation so we're going to look to you to give us everything we need to know so let's start off and talk about canines and radiation are dogs more sensitive to radiation than humans
0: oh actually not really so they've as large mammals they've got pretty much the same radiation sensitivity that we have which means as long as you keep yourself safe then you're going to be keeping your dog safe so
1: yay So the same rules apply for dogs and and humans? Pretty much, yeah. And I
0: mean, as far as the regulations go, there are radiation dose limits for people, but there aren't any radiation dose limits for dogs. And it's not that the regulators don't care about them. It's just that that's not what the dose limits were for. So basically, your dog will have the same radiation limit that you have, because when you have to leave an area, then your dog's going to have to come out with you. And just to give an example of those, because I know that not everybody knows them all, If you're not a radiation worker, then you've got an annual radiation dose limit of about 100 millirem per year, so one-tenth of a rem per year. If you're a rad worker, you're allowed to have up to 5 rem per year or 5,000 millirem per year. And again, your dog's limit will be effectively yours since the dog will have to leave when you are. If you're handling radioactive materials, if you're picking up sources, then your hands are limited to 50, 50 rem for the year. In an emergency, you can get up to 25 rem. This is whether you're a rad worker or not in an emergency, you can get up to 25 REM per year to save property. So for example, if you have to render safe a bomb, or if you're trying to get your chief's car out out of the path of a toppling building, you know, something like that, if it's saving property, you can get up to 25 REM once in a lifetime. There is no dose limit for life saving. So nobody's going to tell you, you can't go save that person's life because you're going to exceed a dose limit. They've got a recommendation, you should not go more than 50 REM during an emergency to save a life. But in reality, you have to do what you need to do as long as you don't get to the point of of getting sick. So most of the people will say somewhere between 50 and 100 rem is what they would authorize in order to save lives. And again, this applies to the dogs, because when you leave an area, your dog's going to be leaving
1: the area as well. So in other words, your dog sucks up the same amount of, of radiation you're going to suck up.
0: For the most part, yeah. With the caveat that if the source is on the ground, your dog is going to be closer to the source than you are. I guess unless you're really short or your dog is really big, which means that your dog will be getting higher dose than you from a source that's on the ground. On, But that's only when your dog is walking over that source. So when you're approaching it, the dog will be getting about the same dose as you.
1: So effectively, the dog is walking into the sea in his bare feet. Is that is that likely to cause a problem for him when you've got protection on your own feet?
0: That's one of those things. As far as I know, they don't make Tyvek for dogs. So there's a limit to what we can do. Well, here in New York, a lot of dogs do go out in the wintertime wearing little booties, but that's just here. But basically, your dog is not likely to be walking across anything that's so radioactive that it's going to cause skin burns on its feet. The biggest thing there is just to do the work that you have as quickly as possible. If you're in an area where the dose rates are elevated, you want to leave that area because it could be due to hot particles on the ground but then you would wanna do that anyhow, just to keep yourself safe. When you come out of the area, you can take off your PPE, which will remove the contamination. With your dog, you're gonna to have to decon it. So yeah, you know, and make or pay special attention to the feet, both surveying as well as washing or wiping down just to make sure you do get all the contamination or any hot particles off of the, off of the pads.
1: Okay, so if you got to the scene where you know there is a radiation present, can my dog come into the hot zone with me safely?
0: Yes. Yeah, like I said, for the dogs, the risk is going to be about the same from the radiation as it is for you. So as long as you're keeping yourself safe, then you should be keeping your dog safe as well.
1: Okay, and how would I keep my dog safe specifically when I'm in a hot zone? Now,
0: the the biggest thing is just, well, it's kind of the radiation trinity of time, distance and shielding. So for example, when you go into the hot zone, plan your entry before you go in so that you know that you're going to be going over in one location the route that you're going to take to get over there how long you're going to be there so that you can try to avoid any hot spots and things like that that you just want to to minimize the time that you spend in the area don't waste time in there you know even something small like if you need to make a radio call go to an area where radiation dose rates are lower to make the call then go back into the hotter areas you know with the distance part if you know where the hot spots are stay away from them if you double your distance to a hot spot the dose goes down by a factor of 4 and then use whatever shielding is available. And in fact, that might be easier for your dog than for you because a wall that you could step over or that would still leave you exposed from the waist up is one that your dog could be hiding behind and be completely sheltered.
1: Okay, so do I have to worry about my dog inhaling or ingesting anything? Because knowing what dogs are like, they want to sniff and taste everything they see.
0: Yeah, and that's a problem because the biggest source of exposure is if you get the radioactivity inside of you. If I go into a hot zone and I'm working in the hot zone, as soon as I come out again, the exposure stops. And for that matter, as soon as I start walking away from the source, the exposure stops. But if I get something inside me and my lungs are in my stomach, it's going to be with me and still giving me exposure until I can get rid of it, either by flushing the lungs or what they call pulmonary lavage or taking some sort of counter agents to scrub it out of my body, I'm going to keep getting that exposure. So from the standpoint of dogs, first of all, they're low to the ground, or again, lower than we are, which means that if radioactivity is being resuspended, then it's going to be resuspended maybe into their breathing zone, even if it's not resuspended into your breathing zone. You know, the bottom line is they're more likely to inhale something, plus the fact that dogs go around sniffing. So if a dog is sniffing along the ground, then it can go ahead and just inhale the the radioactivity into its lungs that way as well. In addition, dogs tend to lick things more than people do, at least most people that I know, including themselves. And so if your dog is, you know, if that's the way that it just interacts with the environment, I don't know how to put it. If your dog licks a lot of stuff and it's more likely to be licking up radioactivity, including if it licks its paws or if it licks its legs or anything like that, all of that will get radioactivity into the into the dog's body. So perhaps put
1: a muzzle on the dog before you go in.
0: Actually, that's a good idea. I would like to try that with some co sometimes too.
1: <laughs> so worst case scenario, you take your dog into the hot zone and you then come out. How do you decontaminate your dog when you leave? Now,
0: the big thing, well, pretty much the same way you would decontaminate a dog after it had an encounter with a mud puddle. You know, just wash it down, shampoo it off, use cool to warm water, you know, nothing too hot or too cold, use mild soaps or shampoos. And so basically you just give it a good dog wash and then after that, you go over it and you survey it to see if you got all the contamination. If you didn't, then basically rinse and repeat. And you just keep on doing that until one of two things happens. If you get to the point where the dog is reading the same as background, then you can say, okay, right now there's nothing that I can detect. So, so FIDO is okay. Or if contamination levels get down to a certain point, then no matter what you do, they just don't go any lower. That's the point at which you have to say, okay, further washing isn't gonna do the trick. And then you might take the the trimmers out and, and cut the dog's hair in case some of the in case some of the contamination is stuck in the hair. One important thing with that is that you don't wanna shave the dog. Because if, I mean, it's tempting to say, well, if it's in the hair, I'll just shave it all down to the skin. The problem is that if you do that, you can get little cuts or nicks, and that can let radioactive contamination into the bloodstream. So cutting the hair, you know, even a marine-style cut is okay. Actually, it could be interesting to do a poodle cut, but I digress. But you don't want to, you don't want to actually shave the dog because that could end up being worse. Something else to bring up too, getting back to the inhalation or ingestion, is that if cutting the hair doesn't do the trick, you know, you've you've washed it several times, you've trimmed the fur, and there's still or there's still elevated counts then you got to think, okay, maybe my dog did breathe something in, or maybe he did lick something or eat something that was hot. That's the point at which you've got to find a radiation safety professional and basically have the dog evaluated to see if there's internal contamination. Then if that's the case, then they can also advise as to what the dose might be. And if it's worth trying to, the the term is decorporation, feeding the dog something to try to remove the contamination from the body. Or if it's not that much, then it might be best just to go ahead and let it as all things do
1: well you've answered my next question which is going to be do i shave my dog but quite clearly don't give him a close crop well andy how would i know that my dog is decontaminated enough to take him back home
0: the most obvious is if you just decontaminate it completely you know you get it to the point where there's no you're surveying the dog you don't see any elevated counts and you can say okay we, we got it all that's not likely to happen or, it, or i should say it's It's just as likely that you won't be able to get the dog all the way down to background as that you will, because contamination, it can be really fine particles. It can, say, get inside the the scales and the hair and that sort of thing. You might not be able to get all the contamination. There are actually federal limits on how much contamination can can be on an object that's being released. They, They call it release for unrestricted use it's tempting to say that, well, okay, you just try to get it down less than these limits and there's too many to go into. But if anybody's interested, I can send Mary a copy of the, of the table. She can post it on the, on the website. But, you know, but basically, if you can reduce it down to below those limits, then I don't think anybody would question that it's okay for the dog to leave the, the hot zone. If you can't, that's where I would really be tempted to call in a radiation safety professional and just say, you know what, what's your advice? how much of a risk does this, or does the dog pose? And basically that's what it comes down to. There's two things that we're looking at. One is that we don't want phyto spreading contamination around to your car, your home, your station, or whatever, by contamination or loose contamination coming off his body. So the other thing is that you don't want to have so much contamination in or on the dog that it creates a a radiation hazard to you or to other people or other animals. So that again is where I think I would want to call in a radiation safety professional just to say, you know, first, can you verify that the remaining contamination is fixed on the dog? You know, basically that it's not going to come off as contamination. And second, can you measure the dose rate to see if the dog is is cool enough so that it does not pose an external hazard? I I guess one other thing I should say in here too is that if your dog does have internal contamination, especially if it's in the digestive tract, then you've got to remember that. The, well, basically, what comes out is contaminated, and so you might have uh, the doggy do might be radioactive and have to be taken care of that way, or if it's soluble. Well, anyhow, you get the idea.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, many many of our members would take the dogs home with them. Um, obviously, if they have a, a, an issue where you suspect the dog might be contaminated or might pose a danger, the best advice is seek expert advice and have a decontamination expert come and make sure the dog is clear
0: yeah especially before going home because if the dog is shedding contamination you know if it's if it's got the loose contamination your home could end up being contaminated and e- even though it wasn't with a dog i remember once when i was working at a uranium enrichment plant some workers tracked contamination to their homes and rather than recarpet their homes the department of energy just came in and cut out all the contamination which they then had to explain all the holes in the carpet to their wives you know you don't want to go through the same thing with with your dog or the car seats or or whatever so yeah it's best to have a radiation safety professional help you to figure out what's happening something else too is that it might not be a bad idea if you envision that something like this might happen is go ahead and set these procedures up or these set points in advance so that you don't have to wait for a radiation safety person to come you can just say okay so if i'm surveying my dog's feet and it's less than this They can go home. If it's more than that, then I wipe them down, count the white, you know, whatever you need so that maybe you can do a lot of that work yourselves.
1: So if you were somebody who takes the dog home to um, live in your own house, is there some sort of a shampoo or a special uh, decontamination technique you would be able to use that would reassure you and reassure your your family that the dog isn't going to pose a threat to them?
0: Most of the time, just commercial off the shelf products are going to do the trick. So I would take whatever shampoo I normally use on my dog and just use that for the radioactivity. And by by analogy, I used to do reactor water chemistry when I was in the Navy, and I've had skin contamination at least a dozen or so times. Every single time, I just cleaned up with with regular soap and water in about five or 10 minutes. So obviously, the fur on the dog provides a bigger challenge, but at the same time, dog hair is not that dissimilar to human hair like i said whatever you normally use to shampoo your dog that's what i would start with see how far you can get with that and if that doesn't do the trick that again is where i would talk to a radiation safety person to say you know what, what's the next step
1: okay so you take a dog from the scene at what stage could the dog eat or drink once he's been in a contaminated area
0: as soon as the dog is deconned, then it should be okay to to eat or drink the biggest thing here is that you don't want the dog ingesting radioactivity. So say its muzzle is contaminated. You don't want it dipping that into the water, contaminating the water and then drinking that down or dipping it into the food and contaminating the food.
1: So as soon as the dog is decontaminated, it should be all right. OK, but before that, obviously, it's a no, no. Wait until the, the decontamination is done before you let the dog drink a bottle Correct. of water.
0: I guess one other thing, too, and I don't know how common this is, but if your dog is injured, you know, if it's if it's bleeding, gets a cut or something like that, then you would also wanna to try to flush the wound to try to make sure the contamination doesn't get into that. We wanna to try to keep it out of the bloodstream.
1: Okay, so much, much the same procedures you carry out on yourself. If you have an injury, uh, make sure that the wound isn't exposed. If the wound's exposed, that's gonna be your most vulnerable point.
0: Exactly, yeah. The skin normally acts as a pretty good barrier to keep the contamination on the outside of us. As long as we can keep the skin intact, then that's doing a lot of the work for us if the skin is not intact then we want to make sure that we protect that area where the skin has been breached
1: Once you've just take the, the case of a, a dog what well, if you have do have a skin breach and you flush the wound how can you reassure yourself because you're going to be worried about the the the, um, the health of your dog how can you what else what are the steps can you take that would ensure that your dog is going to be safe from this
0: now the, the first thing I would want to do would be to get it to a low or an area with low radiation level, so away from the scene of the incident or whatever, so that I would have the most sensitivity with my radiation detector. And then I would do a really careful survey just of the area around the cut. You know, is the fur around the cut contaminated? Is it contaminated when I hold the detector right over the cut just to see what the potential threat is? And if there's no contamination, you know, if your dog is clean, then I just really wouldn't worry about it that much. If the dog's contaminated, I would the, the way that I would approach that would be to first try to hold the fur away from the the wound, flush the wound as much as possible, and again do some counts on that to see if the or to see if it's decontaminated. And then I would probably want to put some sort of waterproof dressing over the wound while decontaminating the rest of the dog. So that way, any contamination that was on the fur wouldn't wash into the the wound as I was finishing the decon.
1: And obviously, that should be done at the scene and not put them in your vehicle and take them back to another location. Correct. You want to try to keep
0: all the radioactivity and all the contamination as close to the scene as possible. Okay.
1: Excellent. Well, I think Andy, is there anything else? Any other advice you would give to uh, potential uh, canine uh, handlers who have experienced the potential of decontamination?
0: Now, there is one other thing that I should have mentioned. Several times I've said, talk to a radiation safety expert, and a lot of people don't necessarily know where to find a radiation safety expert, and so. If you're in a big city, it's not that difficult because most large research universities have a radiation safety officer. Large research hospitals will have a radiation safety officer as well. Those are places that you can go to find people that know how to do the decontamination, that understand the regulations and all of that. If you're away from a big city, it might not be quite as easy. You know, One possibility would be a nuclear power plant because they're gonna have radiation safety experts. Another possibility would be to go to a national laboratory or almost as well would be a fire station that's close to a national laboratory power plant because they've likely received additional training and how to take care of radiological emergencies. If you can't find anything else or if nothing else seems to work, my recommendation would be to go to the Health Physics Society website. Health Physics Society is the professional organization for radiation safety specialists, and they've got a feature on that called Ask the Experts. And if you go there, they can help you to find out, well, first they can answer your question directly, or they can help you to find somebody in your area who can give you advice or even be on call for you to help you to, to work out some of these radiological issues. And if nothing else, I, I know that Mary can put, can put you in touch with me and I can help to find somebody in, in your area as well.
1: So perhaps it might be an idea for, for canine handlers to reach out before they get to that stage, to perhaps have an idea who they could speak to at the scene, as opposed to having to worry about it when the contamination issue arises.
0: Yeah. And in fact, I, I teach a lot of radiation safety classes. And one of the things I always tell my students is if there's issues that might come up, work those out in advance. Don't wait until you're in trouble or really need something. And you know, so, for example, if there's a possibility that some of your people might get radioactively contaminated and need to go to the hospital, talk to the hospital and the ambulance companies now to find out what they need in order to take care of your people so that you're not trying to persuade them just to let your people into the hospital when they really need medical care. Same thing, if you anticipate that you might have canines or people or equipment that is contaminated, that needs to be released from an area or that needs treatment, Work those issues out now so that at the time, you don't have to invent the wheel. You just have to figure out where you stored it.
1: Okay. Good advice, Andy. Uh, a question that I meant to ask you from the last time when we spoke about um, the radioactive element in luminous watches. Yeah. And I went, I went visited a, a site in Berlin, one of the old World War II underground bunkers, and the entire place was painted with luminous paint. So the whole place was in darkness until they... They uh, switched the light on, switched it off again, and then suddenly you had light. And the advice given to us when we entered the bunker was, don't scratch it off and don't lick the walls. Does that sound like good advice to you?
0: I I think it's usually good advice to not lick the walls. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, So I can wholeheartedly go along with that one. As far as scratching it off, yeah. But what's interesting is the way that you phrased it, that it was dark and they turned the lights on, and when they turned them off, it got light. Because that doesn't not, that does not sound like it's caused by radiation. Radium 226 is always radioactive and that should always be glowing. It sounds like what you're talking about is is photoluminescence where exposure to the light causes it to basically absorb energy and readmit it. so it's not a radiological thing, but you should still probably avoid licking the walls
1: Fair enough good good advice, Andy. <laughs> Andy, thank you very much for your time, and we appreciate the uh, your the, the time and effort that that you have uh, made in your commitment to IABTI. And we thank uh, Miriam as well for their support in this um, series of podcasts. So, thank you very much.
0: Uh, you're you're quite welcome. It's a lot of fun. Excellent. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the IABTI Blast podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of IABTI. The IABTI is not responsible and does not verify the accuracy of the information contained in the podcast series.